Welcome to the Joseph Smith Podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring more than a half century's worth of devotionals and forums exploring the prophet's life and teachings. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. Well, thank you, President. It's nice to be with all of you this evening. Sister Ballard and I appreciate more than words can express being here with you tonight. And please know of our love and concern for each one of you. It's a wonderful thing that we're reaching out clear across the world, really, that the footprint of the satellite will go, and in gathering close to us, the youth of the church. I pray that the Lord will bless me, brothers and sisters, that I may have his spirit, that you also may enjoy it. I've worked hard on the preparation for what I'd like to say tonight, and if we have the spirit of the Lord with us, Perhaps we'll all learn something that will be worthwhile. During this past year, I was privileged to have two special experiences that have affected me deeply. One was a leadership meeting in historic Kirtland, Ohio, with church leaders from 109 stakes and districts and 24 missions in the northeastern United States and Canada. The other was being in Nauvoo and Carthage with President Howard W. Hunter and President Gordon B. Hinckley to commemorate the 150th anniversary of the martyrdom of the Prophet Joseph and his brother Hiram. I cannot adequately express the depth of my feelings of love and gratitude to these great men. As we visited Carthage, and particularly the Carthage jail, where Joseph and Hiram were murdered, and then the beautiful Smith family cemetery overlooking the wide Mississippi River where they are buried, I stood in reverential awe. I pay tribute to these noble brothers, my great-great-uncle Joseph and my great-great-grandfather Hiram. I pay tribute to them for their faith and the courage to sacrifice all they had, even their lives, by sealing their mission and their testimonies with their blood. It is a blessing to know that Joseph and Hiram, who in life were not divided and in death were not separated, were instruments through whom the Lord restored his church in our day. Tonight, I would like to concentrate on the remarkable events of the restoration that occurred in in and near Kirtland, Ohio, where Joseph and Hiram lived for seven years and where Joseph spent the majority of his adult life. It's often said that Kirtland is one of the least understood periods in church history. Kirtland is a truly holy ground of this dispensation. The church basks in the light of revelation today to a great extent 
because of the great Pentecostal outpouring that Joseph received and the saints received in Kirtland. The heavens literally opened to hundreds of our early saints there. For many weeks surrounding the Kirtland Temple dedication, the Savior, past prophets, and angels communed directly with Joseph and Hiram and other great leaders of our dispensation. Joseph prophesied that these Pentecostal events would be handed down to all generations and that we should celebrate them as a year of jubilee and a time of rejoicing. It has been said that we may yet discover that Kirtland is our most significant church historical site. Let me describe to you how important Kirtland is to the church. In Kirtland were revealed basically all of the priesthood offices that we have in the church today. This was the schooling period for the leaders of the church. About one half of the revelations recorded in the Doctrine and Covenants were revealed there, far more than any other location. There is where the School of the Prophets began. There is where Joseph made the Bible translation. There is where the Pearl of Great Price was largely translated. There is where the first edition of the Doctrine and Covenants was printed. More heavenly manifestations occurred in Kirtland than in any other place. For example, in Kirtland, the Father and the Son appeared or were seen in vision four times, and the Savior was seen at least six more times by the prophet Joseph Smith. In Kirtland is where significant keys were given. The church headquartered in Kirtland longer than anywhere else other than Salt Lake City. We built our first temple and completed our first temple ordinances in Kirtland. Time allows me to review only four sacred spots that we visited one year ago this month. We first visited the Whitney store where about 20 sections of our Doctrine and Covenants, including our Word of Wisdom, were received. This store served jointly as Joseph and Emma's home, as well as the church office building from 1832 to 1834. It was our first bishop's storehouse. I wish you could feel the same spirit we felt in the small school of the prophet's room in the Whitney store. It's just 11 by 14 feet in size. The heavens opened, my dear young people, to about 20 men in that room as the words of the Lord authorized the organization of the First Presidency in our day. Many saw the Savior. Both the Father and the Son were present, as well as concourses of angels that day. I stood in the translating room, which is next to the School of the Prophets room, with three other stake and mission presidents, whose forefathers were also in the same room as with mine in the year 1832. We contemplated how our ancestors 
Joseph Smith, Sr., Hiram Smith, Orson Hyde, Frederick G. Williams, and Newell K. Whitney felt as they watched Joseph dictate Section 88 of the Doctrine and Covenants. The second place we visited was the Johnson Farm in Hiram, Ohio, just a few miles from Kirtland. In the Revelation Room of the Johnson Home, the heavens opened and 16 revelations came to the Prophet Joseph Smith. It was in that small room that God the Father and Jesus Christ appeared to Joseph and Sidney Rigdon. They testified of Christ as they exclaimed, This is the testimony, last of all, which we give of him, that he lives, for we saw him even on the right hand of God. We contemplated what it must have been like to have been one of the dozen men who were present in that room on that occasion and saw Joseph in the midst of a magnificent glory. Although they were not permitted to see the vision, they testified they saw the glory and felt the power. Our hearts were touched as we stood in Joseph and Emma's small bedroom in the Johnson home and visualized 12 out of a mob of over 50 who burst into that bedroom and dragged Joseph from his bed on that cold night and carried him to the meadow where they tarred and feathered him and without mercy beat him. All night, the tar and the feathers were removed. Joseph suffered great pain, and yet he preached to the crowd the next day, and after preaching, baptized three individuals. We stood in reverence, my dear young people, on that same porch and pondered the power and the strength of the prophet Joseph. At the third place, we walked up the hill behind the Morley farm and stood in a grove of trees contemplating the vision of the father and the son received by Joseph and two other brethren in the little log schoolhouse that used to stand there. Here Joseph ordained the first high priest in our dispensation. The adversary tried to prevent the ordinance, ordinations that day, and Joseph cast the devil's influence out. A great vision opened to him, and he exclaimed, I now see God and Jesus Christ at his right hand. Let them kill me. I should not feel death as I am now. Wilford Woodruff recorded an experience in that little log schoolhouse as follows. On Sunday night, the prophet called all who held the priesthood to gather into the little log schoolhouse they had there. It was a small house, perhaps 14 feet square, but it held the whole priesthood of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, who were then in the town of Kirtland, and who had gathered together to go off to Zion's camp. 
The prophet called upon the elders of Israel with him to bear testimony of this work, and a good many bore their testimonies. When they got through, the prophet said, Brethren, I've been very much edified and much instructed in your testimonies here tonight. But I want to say to you before the Lord that you know no more concerning the destinies of this church and kingdom than a babe upon his mother's lap. You don't comprehend it. Wilford Woodruff said, I was rather surprised. And then the prophet said, It is only a little handful of priesthood you see here tonight. But this church will fill North and South America. It will fill the world. Perhaps Joseph saw congregations of priesthood and faithful sisters assembled as we are here tonight. It was in Kirkland that he prophesied that we would build temples in the Rocky Mountains. Hiram Smith also prophesied in Kirtland that the saints would go to the Rocky Mountains. On that beautiful Morley farm, we read inspirational verses from 13 sections of our Doctrine and Covenants that were given there. We considered what it must have been like to have been present as Joseph dictated those marvelous revelations from the Lord. Can you imagine the feeling the saints experienced as Joseph dictated these words of the Savior? I am Jesus that was crucified. I am the Son of God. Or, I am in your midst, and I am the Good Shepherd. Or, Behold, I will go before you and be your rearward, and I will be in your midst, and you shall not be confounded. Behold, I am Jesus Christ, and I come quickly. Witnessing this rich outpouring of heavenly instruction in Kirtland bore an unwavering witness to most of all of those early saints, and the witness was that the Lord Jesus Christ led this church. Finally, the fourth place was where we had a humbling and overwhelming experience of sitting in the Kirtland Temple, the site of some of the greatest spiritual events of this, the dispensation of the fullness of times. You can imagine what it would have been like for the prophet Joseph and Oliver Cowdery to see the blazing throne of God, whereon was seated the Father and the Son, or to see the Lord standing upon the breastwork, breastwork of the pulpit and hear him say, Your sins are forgiven you. You are clean before me. Therefore lift up your heads and rejoice. Or to witness the visit of seven prophets of past dispensations. Can you imagine their feelings on dedication day as they saw the Apostle Peter come into the upper pulpits and sit between Joseph Smith Sr. and Frederick G. Williams? 
The reality of this experience is captured by Heber C. Kimball as he described Peter in detail. He said Peter was very tall, had black eyes, white hair, and stooped shoulders. His garments was whole, extending to near his ankles, and on his feet he had sandals. Brother Kimball also recounted how the Apostle John the Beloved appeared to several in the Kirkland Temple near the same time. Can you imagine how the Prophet Joseph and Oliver Cowdery must have felt as Moses, Elias, and Elijah appeared to them and committed keys, dispensations, and sealing powers there? Not unlike what occurred on the Mount of Transfiguration about 2,000 years before. In addition to these experiences, we reviewed some of the 65 revelations given in Ohio. I was reminded how boldly the Lord spoke. In section 1, the Lord straightforwardly declared, I am God and have spoken it. These commandments are of me. Search these commandments, for they are true. And the prophecies and promises are in them shall be all fulfilled. What I, the Lord, have spoken, I have spoken, and I excuse not myself. Now let me share with you some of the light and doctrine the Lord showered on the church in Kirtland. These words are just a few that poured out upon the prophet in Kirtland, Ohio. Pre, on priesthood. All they who receive this priesthood receive me, and he that receiveth me receiveth my Father, and he that receiveth my Father receiveth my Father's kingdom. Therefore, all that my Father hath shall be given unto him. On obedience and keeping the commandments. For I, the Lord, cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance, or, entangle not yourselves in sin, but let your hands be clean. Or, unto him that keepeth my commandments, I will give the mysteries of my kingdom. And the same shall be in him a well of living water, springing up unto everlasting life. On repentance, he that repents and does the commandments of the Lord shall be forgiven. On forgiving others, I, the Lord, will forgive whom I will forgive, but of you it is required to forgive all men. On prayer, draw near unto me, and I will draw near unto you, or pray always, lest that wicked one have power in you, and remove you out of your place, or also if thou shalt ask, thou shalt receive revelation upon revelation, knowledge upon knowledge, that thou mayest know the mysteries and the peaceable things, that which bringeth joy, that which bringeth eternal life. On pride versus humility, be thou humble, and the Lord thy God shall lead thee by the hand and give thee answer to thy prayers. On healing the sick, 
and the elders of the church. Two or more shall be called and shall pray for and lay their hands upon the sick in my name. He that hath faith in me to be healed and is not appointed unto death shall be healed. On fulfilling our callings, let every man learn his duty and act in the office in which he is appointed in all diligence. He that is slothful shall not be counted worthy to stand. And he that learns not his duty and shows himself not approved shall not be counted worthy to stand. And then on God's love and closeness to us. Ye have not as yet understood how great blessings the Father hath prepared for you. Ye cannot bear all things now. Nevertheless, be of good cheer, for I will lead you along. The kingdom is yours, and the blessings therefore are yours, and the riches of eternity are yours. Brothers and sisters, almost all the doctrines and the principles of the gospel appear in the revelations received in and around Kirtland. In Kirtland, the Lord gave us perhaps the clearest and most concise definition of the gospel when he said, This is the gospel, that Jesus came unto the world to be crucified for the world, and to bear the sins of the world, and to sanctify the world, and to cleanse it from all unrighteousness, that through him all might be saved whom the Father had put into his power and made by him. Think of the great charter of the church educational system, which came comes from Kirtland. The glory of God is intelligence, or in other words, light and truth. As we consider light and truth, let me review with you in more what some have termed our most significant revelation to man. Section 76 of the Doctrine and Covenants, which is often referred to as the vision. I believe that receiving this vision may have been one of the Prophet Joseph's most powerful and significant spiritual experiences. As Joseph and Sidney Rigdon prayed to understand the resurrection of the just and the unjust, this glorious vision, or actually a series of six visions, burst upon them. Joseph and Sidney literally conversed with the Lord for about one and one-half hours as the Savior showed them what the prophet Joseph later said was eternity sketched in a vision from God of what was and now is and yet to be. As it commenced, Joseph and Sidney viewed the glory of God on the right hand of the Father. They also beheld angels surrounding them. They were, they were moved to exclaim, He lives, for we saw him. In sequence in that revelation, they next saw Lucifer in the pre-mortal world as he fell from the presence of God because of his rebellion. Then they saw the sons of perdition and what will happen to them. Next they viewed visions of the celestial, terrestrial, and telestial kingdoms. They learned the requirements for obtaining each of these kingdoms. 
They learned that those that qualify shall dwell in the presence of God and his Christ forever and ever. They also perceived the differences in glory of these worlds. I wonder if in mortality we will ever fully realize the power and significance of this vision. Section 76 includes 10 references to conversations between the Savior and Joseph and Sidney. My dear young friends, can you imagine what you and I could learn if we spent one and a half hours in the presence of the Lord conversing with Him and essentially having Him conduct us on a guided tour of the pre-mortal life and life after death? The knowledge Joseph received on the pre-existence has answered unnumbered gospel questions regarding the council in heaven and the great creation of the world. Joseph was commanded not to record everything that he saw in this vision. As we look at his later teachings, we see what appears to be bits and pieces of this same great revelation being taught as the saints were prepared to receive them. You see, the prophet Joseph was not able to teach the saints everything that he knew because they're not prepared. That is why education is constantly stressed by the Lord. That is why we encourage you to gain spiritual education by taking institute and religion classes. It is why we counsel you to read scriptures every day. It's why the Lord established the school of the prophets. The Lord said we cannot be saved in ignorance. We Can you see that this great vision described in section 76 was essentially a well from which Joseph drew pearls of knowledge throughout his life and taught the saints as they were prepared to accept and to understand. Just think what we might be taught even today if we were prepared to receive it. One of the key principles in section 76 is that our pursuit of knowledge and understanding we can be taught individually through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Lord said that this blessing can come to each one of us as we love him and purify our lives before him. Tonight, I invite each one of you to read section 76 with the spirit of wanting to understand what the Lord is teaching us. Can you imagine what it would be like to watch Joseph Smith receive these great revelations? He often had over 10 people in his presence. Many of these bore witness of the spirit and the outward manifestations that were present in these, as these revelations came to him. Typically, they spoke of a whiteness or a brightness that surrounded Joseph. For example, as section 76 was given, Philo Dibble wrote that Joseph seemed to be dressed in an element of glorious white and his face shone as if it were transparent. Orson Pratt was present when section 51 was received, and he testified that 
Joseph's face was exceedingly white and seemed to shine. Brigham Young testified, Those who were acquainted with him knew when the spirit of revelation was upon him, for his countenance wore an expression peculiar to himself while under that influence. He preached by the spirit of revelation and taught in his counsel by it. And those who were acquainted with him could discover it at once. For at such times there was a peculiar clearness and transparency in his face. Close quote. Many were impressed with how smoothly these revelations from the Lord flowed and how, except for minor corrections such as spelling and punctuation, they required no correcting. Parley P. Pratt said, each sentence was uttered slowly and very distinctly, and with a pause between each sufficiently long for it to be recorded by an ordinary writer in longhand. There was never any hesitation, reviewing or reading back, in order to keep the run of the subject. Neither did any of these communications undergo revisions, interlinings, or corrections. As he dictated them, so they stood, so far as I have witnessed, and I was present to witness the dictation of several communications of several pages each. Close quote. Those who knew Joseph best were the most astonished at this process. It was beyond Joseph's natural ability and schooling to be able to dictate such revelations from God. One of Joseph's companion, an educator, testified to this in amazement. I've known Joseph and his scribe to seat themselves and without premeditation deliver in broken sentences some of the most sublime pieces of composition which I ever pursued in any book. Close quote. Emma, the one who knew Joseph best, marveled that during the Book of Mormon translation, which occurred barely three years before most of the Kirtland revelations, Joseph could neither write nor dictate a coherent and well-worded letter, let alone dictate the book like the Book of Mormon, or no doubt the Doctrine and Covenants or the Pearl of Great Price. She then testified, It is marvelous to me, a marvel and a wonder, as much so as to anyone else. Then Emma went on, and she said this, and it's similar to what Parley P. Pratt had said, that she continued to be amazed at the process by which revelation came. She said in an interview near the end of her life, I'm satisfied that no man could have dictated at the writing of the manuscripts unless he was inspired. For when acting as his scribe, Joseph would dictate to me hour after hour, and, then, and when returning after meals or after interruptions, he could at once begin where he left off without either seeing the manuscript or having any portion of it read to him. This was a usual thing for him to do. It would have been improbable that a learned man could do this, and for one so ignorant and unlearned as he was, it was simply impossible.
Close quote. The revelations in the Doctrine and Covenants were received through the power of God similar to the Book of Mormon translation. Now, my dear young brothers and sisters, can you sense how great a miracle is the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price? They're not man-made books, but they are literal, the literal Word of God to us. As the Lord said, these words are not of man, or men or of man, but of me. Wherefore you shall testify, they are of me, and not of man. For it is my voice which speaketh them unto you. It was often difficult for those in the 1830s to accept that the Lord spoke to them, as it is for many in our day, especially for those who, who would call themselves intellectuals. It should not have been, but it was. One of the early intellectuals of the church, William McLennan, McClellan, was humbled when he decided to test Joseph Smith. He wanted some outward proof that these revelations came from God. He formulated in his mind five questions that he wanted answered that only the Lord and he would know. Without telling Joseph Smith the questions, he requested a revelation. We can read the results of the inquiry in section 66 of the Doctrine and Covenants. The Lord gave this section an answer to these five questions that only McClellan and the Lord knew. It may be interesting for you to determine if you can discover what these five questions were. As Joseph dictated that revelation, McClellan got the confirmation he sought. He then recorded his personal testimony of the divine calling of the prophet Joseph. He said, quote, I now testify in the fear of God that every question was answered to my full and entire satisfaction. I desired it for a testimony of Joseph's inspiration. To this day I consider it to me an evidence which I cannot refute. Joseph Smith is a true prophet of the Lord and has power and does receive revelations from God. Close quote. And in spite of this witness, McClellan left the church. There's a lesson to be learned from the study of the Doctrine and Covenants. Revelations are generally answers to questions. The Lord did not come and tap Joseph on the shoulder and say, I have a revelation for you. But instead, Joseph went to the Lord and inquired to receive an answer. Time after time, Joseph tells us how he would ask and how in response the revelation would come. Elder Russell Nelson recently expanded on this important principle. He said, The Lord can only teach an inquiring mind. What an important lesson. The Lord doesn't generally come to us. He waits for us to come to him and ask. Then he gives us the answer. How many times have you said, I have not received direction lately, or I feel void in my life? Do we inquire of the Lord? Do we ask, seek, and knock as the Savior directed? 
As you have problems and questions in your lives, do you follow this principle? I testify to you that as your minds are opened and as you truly inquire of the Lord, he will answer you. As we humble ourselves, he will lead us by the hand and give us answers to our prayers. These early years in our history literally served as a refiner's fire for the early church members. These were days of great testing when many failed the test. Leaders that survived these early days, such as Brigham Young, John Taylor, Wilford Woodruff, Lorenzo Snow, and Heber C. Kimball, were perhaps thereby enabled to survive the almost insurmountable trials of crossing the plains and establishing the church in the Rocky Mountains. I hope that we never forget the heritage that we have from these early days. I also pay tribute to the faithful who followed the early leaders. Think of men like John Tanner. Brother Tanner was probably the equivalent of a millionaire in the, in the 1830s, perhaps the wealthiest man in the whole church. He sacrificed everything so that the Kirtland Temple could be built and the church established. After laying all of his worldly goods on the altar, he left Kirtland for Missouri in poverty with a cart, a borrowed wagon, one horse of his own, three borrowed ones, and $20 in cash. When he had spent his few dollars, he begged for buttermilk and other food to sustain his family of 11. One of his cherished daughters died during the exodus from Kirtland. Apostates taunted John Tanner because he remained faithful. His response echoed the feeling of these early faithful saints when he said, Well, if others have come up easier, they have not learned so much. Consider also the example of Artemis Millet. In 1832, the church faced a real dilemma. A stonemason was needed to direct the stonework on the Kirtland Temple. No one was qualified. Lorenzo Young suggested that they recruit Artemis Millet, who was a capable stonemason living in Canada. But there was one problem. Artemis was not a member of the church. Joseph paused and considered the suggestion. Then he turned to Brigham Young and said, I give you a mission to go to Canada and baptize Brother Artemis Millet. If that wasn't enough, and tell him to bring a thousand dollars with him. <laughs> now you prospective missionaries <laughs> and return missionaries how would you like to receive such a mission assignment? With the help of the Lord, Brigham Young went to Canada, taught and baptized Brother Millet. When he was asked to leave Canada to supervise the work in the Kirkland Temple, Brother Millet responded that he had a business in Canada 
And if he left, not only would he lose the business and it would fail, but the people who owed him money would never pay their debts to him. Being touched by the Spirit, Brother Millett left his business and moved to Kirtland, Ohio. The stately Kirtland Temple is in large part a monument to Artemis Millett. He lost his business. He lost his money. He lost his prestige in Canada. Later, his wife died. But look what he gained. He gained the gospel. He fulfilled the important earthly mission. He gained an eternal family. And today, there are thousands of his descendants in the church who call him blessed. I know some of his descendants who are leaders in the church and who acknowledge that much of what they count dear in their lives is because of their faithful forefather in his willingness to follow the prophet of God. My dear brothers and sisters, can you see the importance of Kirtland and the period of Kirtland that we have discussed tonight? I conclude May I share, as I conclude, may I share with you a never-to-be-forgotten experience I had in presiding at a sacrament meeting in the Kirtland Temple. President Wallace B. Smith of the RLDS Church graciously granted permission for us to hold a sacrament meeting in the temple. Not since the 1840s had the sacrament been blessed and passed to Latter-day Saints. We felt a power and a spirit there that may have been comparable to that felt in some of those meetings in the 1830s. When the general authorities knelt to bless the sacrament and then we passed it to those in attendance, the Lord poured out his spirit upon all those who were in attendance these leaders today that were there are also giving their all to build the church in our day. The Lord blessed us with spiritual power and renewed testimonies of this work. While singing the Spirit of God, that great hymn written for the dedication of the Kirtland Temple, all in attendance, had feelings that will never be forgotten. Most all were wiping away tears as they were streaming down their cheeks because we were aware on that occasion of how close those on the other side of the veil are to us. Now, my beloved young people, we love you. You have a great destiny in this church. Study the scriptures. Study the revelations. Anchor your hearts to the great message of the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As you do that, I promise you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by and through the holy apostleship vested in me, that as you do that, you'll come to know the Lord. And the more you come to know him, the easier life becomes.
That may sound strange to you. But as an apostle, we walk the face of the earth. We go wherever we're sent. Sister Ballard and I will leave on Thursday for two weeks in Brazil. Doesn't matter where we are. Those who have an unwavering testimony that Joseph Smith is a prophet of the living God, that he in fact received revelation from God, that all the guidance, all of the instruction, all that is necessary for our father's children to find peace and happiness rests in understanding the gospel and rests in a willingness in each one of our lives to keep the commandments of the Lord Jesus Christ. I testify to you that he lives. He is the Son of God. This is his church. He has spoken to his prophet. He speaks today. He's guiding the affairs of the kingdom. God bless you to keep your eyes riveted, riveted on the leadership of the church. We will not lead you astray. We cannot. That is my witness and my testimony and my blessing upon you that the peace of the Lord will be yours now and always, that you'll find it easy all the days of your life to follow the simple things, the beautiful teachings that are ours in the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, and the words of the living prophets. May God grant you the strength and the courage to understand that and live by it all the days of your life. And may I close by thanking you for who you are and all that you mean to your families and all that you mean to this church. You are precious. You are important. You have a great destiny to carry on this glorious work. May you reach it, I humbly pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to the Joseph Smith Podcast, presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, by study and by faith. Come follow me and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on Podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.